Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Journeys to Success. I'm your host this evening, Brad Ballas. Uh, the incomparable Tom Cunningham has allowed me to sit his seat tonight. <laughs> You people, so I want you to grab a pen and uh, paper because, as you know, on the show, we always delve into entrepreneurs, people who are shaking the world up, making positive changes in our lives. And in case of who I am, I'm Brad Zoll, award winning of Liquid Leadership, which delves deep into the generational divide. In other words, I help you get and boomers and Gen Xers working together. And tonight, uh, it's kind of ironic, but tonight, Tony, are you uh, are you there? I know we were chatting in the green room. I want to make sure you're here. Yeah, so, I'm here and uh, glad to be here, my friend. Yeah, we have a, a fantastic guest, and he wrote the forward to my book, leadership, Tony Rubaleski. And um, I'd like to read some of his bio, but we're going to delve deep into this because uh, tonight's an unusual night. And that is you're going to get real world um, problems and solutions and strategies that are coming not from somebody who just wrote a book. This is somebody who actually has lived the entrepreneurial life. Now they understand what it takes to build a business from scratch. So all I can say is Tony is currently the president of the Mind Capture Group. His message is designed to help people capture more minds, and profits. He is an in-demand speaker who's given hundreds of presentations this past decade, a strategic business coach, and a global event promoter with over 20-plus years of experience in the personal development industry. His second book in the Mind Capture series went to number one in three different business categories on Amazon.com. stunning reviews from a wide range of leaders in marketing sales, psychology to academia, and multiple New York best-selling authors. Book number four in the series, Mind Capture, Leadership Lessons from 10 Trailblazers Who Beat the Odds and Influence Millions, will be re-released globally in late 2017 with New York publisher Morgan James. His work has been featured in various media outlets ranging from Toastmasters International Magazine, the Detroit Press, the Fox TV Network, ABC to CNN, Radio, NPR, and Entrepreneur Magazine Radio. In addition, he's also served as a faculty member with both the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and CEO Space International. Please welcome Tony Rubaleski. Hello, hello. And I see Tom up there in Toronto. Hey, <laughs> welcome, guys. Good to uh, join hey. you. Good. We'll have to reintroduce Tom, Tom Cunningham, the number one certified Napoleon Hill instructor. When you when you Google Napoleon Hill instructors, Tom comes up like number one. Am I right, Tom? 
That's the uh, aim, yes. And I <laughs> check it regularly, so so far, so good. Well, you missed the, you missed the introduction for Tony, uh, Tom, but basically uh, we're both excited to have Tony on the show tonight because Tony wrote the foreword for my book, Liquid Leadership, over seven, eight years ago when uh, we were <laughs> both nobodies. And uh, <laughs> chance on me. Uh, and I just heard amazing things about this guy, which I just read. And um, Tony, we're going to talk a little bit about Trailblazers tonight, mind capture and all that. But we're, we're actually going to talk a little bit about book number three as well. You're releasing that. Uh, um, you want to talk a little bit about some of this? Yeah, well, Brad and Tom, thank you. Good to have New York and Toronto on the line tonight. This is cool. Um, yeah, we're, we're really out promoting now, and you guys are the first real big interview um, to talk about the re-release of book number three. And the subtitle is How to Awaken Your Entrepreneurial Genius in a Time of Great Economic Change. It was written in 2009, early 2010. It released originally in 2011. And what's happened since then, guys, we know this, 2017, as we record this later in the year, the economy is doing really well. But the original version of this book was written right after the Great Recession. And a lot of people that have read my other books have said, look, out of the four or five you've been in, this is the best one. And I keep getting that feedback. And what prompted it, guys, was I got a text in an email January from a friend named Dave Keel, who's in the book. I referenced this, this exchange. He says, look, I read all your stuff. Book number three is the best. And I finally said, enough. I'm going to go back, <clears throat> go review the book, revise it, put a new cover on it. And Brad, you're a man of many talents. Have the, the legendary Brad Zalas redesign the front back jacket, do the interior and put a new note to the reader and really dust off the book and its message. And what was frustrating, guys, is this book came out at arguably the darkest point in my life. I was right in the middle of a divorce. Um, the original cover, you guys have seen it. It looks like it. <laughs> you know, it's not pretty. And the book, I was not in the right frame of mind, ironically, to put a book out of motivation. So life hits you in weird cycles and curves and ebbs and flows. This is my personal favorite out of the books that I've written in the series. And I thought, you know what? People keep saying, this is the one. This is the one we like the most. And I said, you know, I've been thinking for a couple of years going back and kind of dusting it off and saying, let's revise it. So we finally did it. And then ironically, Brad, as you had mentioned in the introduction, you talk about the world's interconnected, intersected. Um, the Dennis Trailblazer book, the Mind Capture series, will re-release actually next year. got pushed back with New York. But you're in that. Um, yeah. So it's been fun to watch your growth and the work I put you on my stages, Tom. You've been at my events around the world as well. This is like a family reunion for me, speakers and thought leaders. And, and, you know, guys, we love to help people around the world. That's what we do. But here's the honest truth. We go through intense adversity. Every one of our stories, we know each other as friends off the stage. When we interview each other, um, it's not easy out there. And I love what I do. Tom, you love what you do. Brad, you're very good and love what you do. This book, oozes with confidence when I wrote it back in 09 and 2010, early 2010. When I reread it again, when we were revising it, Brad, you were part of that, obviously, with design work on it. Um, I just thought, man, I need to go back and reread this. It kind of got me motivated even more. And, you know, I'm human. You know, at 45, I'm in my mid-40s now. I've had ebbs and flows of life. I've had tragedy. I've had triumph. I've had, you know, good health. I've had children. I've had people die on me. But this book is timeless. And when I reread it, several things jumped out, which I'm sure the three of us will talk about. But bottom line, your mindset and how you view the marketplace is everything. And we're in a pretty good economy right now. So the irony is when you go back and the way I wrote the forward and the note to the reader is this was written in a much different economic time. 
However, right. the principles that I just didn't create, these are from my mentors, other books, other masters that influenced my writing in my own personal work, all melded together to say, look, this stuff works even better now because we have a better economy. So, you know, it just it rejuvenated me. I've always wanted to go back and get this thing out there. It never got the proper launch. The second book, as you introduced me, did very well on Amazon. You know, it was almost 10 years ago. It, it charted number one in multiple categories in print. So it's a little different than the ebook changed the last eight or nine years. They're both very relevant, but print's tougher. So I look back and go, what if that book had been released a year or two later? What if I'd been in a better state of mind? The irony of the book is it oozes with all that enthusiasm, but I was in the darkest spot I'd been in in almost 40 years, in the middle of a divorce with kids involved. So I look at it and go, timing is everything. That book kind of got lost until now. Wow. Well, funny, they say uh, writing and performing and things like this, it's not therapy, but it is therapeutic. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I, I really do feel honored that I was able to design your cover because there's, you. a light bulb, there's a light bulb on there against this sort of mottled, uh, roughed up blue wall. But your subtitle says everything. How to awaken your entrepreneurial genius in a time of great economic change. And at that time, you were kind of going through a hell yourself with everything. And mm -hmm. I, it's incredible that you wrote a chapter. You just faced it. Uh, and that is the culture of fear. Uh, and I want you to talk a little bit about that. But, you know, it, it, anybody who's listening right now who's an entrepreneur, there's two things they never talk about, Tony. And, and Tom, you can chime in on this, too. They never talk about never a straight line of happy, happy, happy. It's usually four failures, one success. Four failures, one success. And how do you deal with anger and depression and all these emotions through this? And you face it head on. And you write this killer chapter called The Culture of Fear. You wanna you wanna talk about that and tie all that in? Well, Brad, that's a, a pretty big question. So thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, there's really what I define as three influencers in this culture of fear. And I'll talk about why it's I believe it's relevant. Um, the media is the first culprit. They're the ones, they're the merchants of doubt, always selling shock value, the drive-by at five, the killing, the, the torture, the controversy. The second I would call them fear peddlers or your associations. Who are you running with? Um, not so much people that listen to this, these interviews, you know, you and Tom and I like attracts like iron sharpens iron. However, there are a lot of people who don't know there's this whole personal development industry or they think of it as kind of a mockery or they go, Oh, it's that positive stuff. That's very important. And a lot of people downplay the significance of who you run around with. And that could be who you physically associate with at work. Uh, you mastermind with or who you partner with. It's what you listen to. It's what you put in your ears, on your television screen, on your phone screen. Those are all virtual and real associations. And the third peddler of fear is the marketplace. That's your industry and also just the general economic climate. And a lot of times right now, it's funny how, I don't know how people can complain about the economy in most of the Western democracies because it's been humming along pretty darn good for a few years. And looking yeah. back in January, February, when I went and revised the original version of this, it was a dark time uh, when the book was laid out in my mind. I was at a different place. And I didn't foresee, guys, as I wrote the manuscript, that basically nine months later when it was finished, I would be served divorce papers. And I wasn't, you know, looking back now, I forgive my former wife. I'm not mad. We, we both contributed to the success of the marriage, and it didn't work. But I just thought, dang it. I wrote this when I was full of just this optimism, not naive, 
but saying, look, what can we do in spite of a really, really bad global economy? How have other people gone through great depressions and recessions? Everything's cyclical. But what do those companies and individuals do to navigate through? And Brad, you just said something instructive on the, the question. It's not uncommon that success is a series of zigzags that are often multiple failures, and you might have one big hit. You might have four or five string run of successes, then a massive failure or a life crash, and it could be your health, a spouse, divorce, death of a child, um, business partner defrauding you. I'm not saying it's happened to me, but we all can relate to what I call those tragedies of life. They occur. Some we control, but here's the big news I want to listen to. I want to share to our listeners. Some of these you can't control. There are other people that impact you, whether you like it or not, because they have free will that can crash into your party, your best laid plans, and you have to still respond and move forward. It could take a month. It could take years. Um, I'm shocked that this thing now is coming up on eight years since I, you know, eight or nine years since I originally wrote it, the manuscript. It seems like a few months ago, but you look at this culture of fear, why it's still relevant is it's a warning. Um, things are pretty good right now, but they can change. And we never know. You and I are all, you, Tom, and I, and many of our listeners are into history and economies, and you, you want to be well-rounded. You can't predict when we're going to have another crash. All you can do is control your own economy. In those three fear peddlers, you know, the media, who you associate with physically and online, in the marketplace of those that are your competitors, your peers, business partners, you got to watch, are they moving me forward or are they keeping me status quo? Or are they bringing me down? There's only one of three directions you can go with those peddlers. I prefer to look at each of them very carefully. You can't avoid them all. And I'm also a big believer is the last probably decade has occurred in my own personal journey of life. I've become more pragmatic. Um, I used to be, you know, rah, 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 rah. But then as years on the mileage called life start to accrue, I start to go, wow, there's going to be ebbs and flows here. So this book, out of the many that I've written in the Mind Capture series, is probably the most optimistic, like get off your ass, get moving, go on the offense, go, charge, charge, charge. And that's also not an easy sale when the economy's doing well right now because people are kind of comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, you and I know this as well as Tom up in Toronto, comfort is very close to what I call killing off a potential great business. You get too comfortable, you get complacent. Complacency, I believe, in marketing equals death. If you get too complacent, ask General Motors, ask Arthur Anderson, some of the big brands that have been around for a long time, they either BK'd, went under, or had to have bailouts. Not because the people there were bad, they lost sense of who they were serving, they got comfortable, complacent, and they yeah. took things for granted. They, 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 they lost that hunger, that competitive edge, that innovation. You look at companies like companies like Google, Starbucks, you know, a lot of the big tech companies, they're constantly innovating. They're what I call healthy paranoia, where they don't get too comfortable. They're always saying, look, and same with like Apple, for example, or Starbucks. These big brands are common and always brought up because they keep innovating instead and getting comfortable. So I know I just threw a lot down there, but if you look at things being interconnected, mindset, associations, um, our own life journey, when you fuse them together, knowledge, it's a very important mixture of things that determine how you look at your worldview and your own personal attack plan each day of how you approach business, serving others, and growth. You know, um, Tony, you, you did say a mouthful there. Yeah. And for the, <laughs> uh, I just want you to understand, uh, yeah, you're probably on your third page of notes for some people, but... Um, you bring up a very valuable point, and it, it's very subtle, 
my father used to do this. My father was a very intelligent man, had his own businesses. But I remember as he got older, I would hang out with him a little bit. And he loved to watch cop shows. Mm-hmm. Center of a cop show. Really a murder or intrigue, drug dealers, all this. So one or two is fine. But he would have them scheduled through the whole week. And I realized I couldn't hang out with him. As much as this was great acting, as I started to change and kind of, um, you know, protect my mind a little bit uh, more, I didn't want to watch these negative shows anymore. So for me, I stopped watching certain types of television shows. So when you talk about guarding your mind and you talk about really uh, protecting your thoughts, it covers almost everything. There are little subtle moments in our life we really have to look at that habit where maybe we like to go to a bar on friday night and maybe uh stay there too long knocking into that it's good to have a uh, knock back and hang out with friends once in a while and let your hair down but does it become a habit that's interfering with your success does it become a habit that knocks you down just a hair or sets you back and you just don't really notice it and you're sitting there going well why am i not getting ahead or why am i not having clarity of mind. Why am I depressed? And you touch on a lot of that in this book. Um, And I'm going to switch gears. We're going to get into more tactics here. You have seven tactics, strategies that you use that helps you to connect with about anybody. Uh, Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely, Brad. And um, thank you for that. Um, The first one is going to sound really basic because these are core principles that are timeless. I didn't create these. I expound on why I believe with my frame of reference and knowledge and who I work with and and what I use in my own business, why they're valuable. So that's the context of a few of these. Uh, The first one is listening. This is difficult. We're doing an interview. So (laughs) here I am talking about the book and, you know, personal development, which are powerful, but I'm talking when I, you know, should be listening. But you, when you ask me a question, I have to engage you and listen very carefully. It's the lost art because everyone's trying to many times, myself included, get our ideas out there. And when you really pull back in many of the great sales and marketing minds that we've all been blessed, you, Tom, and I in this call to study or have been around with, um, they're great listeners. Yeah. And we could go down a whole list. You take an entire interview, you know, from Ben Gay to Zig Ziglar to Tom Hopkins to Napoleon Hill, and he was alive. They were all great listeners, great communicators. Some other ways to connect. Let me give you a few more. Do your homework. Before I get on a phone call that's big, uh, if it's a big referral, I will Google that target or that person and find out what's their humanness. Everybody has a digital footprint. What's their blog? What's their press release? What's their website? What is their Facebook page? What's their fan page? And in 15 to 20 minutes, I can get a good snapshot to build rapport. As Ben Gay the third, one of the best sales trainers still alive, I believe, taught me sales infiltration. I can know more about them than they would typically think because I've done the pre-homework before I ever talk to them or email them. And I interview a lot of people like we're interviewing me tonight. You guys know I've interviewed each of you and you've been blessed or I've been blessed to have you interview me. And I always do when the camera or the microphone's flipped a lot of research. I'll read their books. I'll read a lot about their bio. So by the time we get the interview rolling face to face or typically over the phone because of distance, they're like, damn, you've really researched me. And it's not about flattery. It's about respecting time. That they go, okay, we get interviewed all the time. And you guys know I've interviewed some pretty big people as far as reach and influence. Their names are big. And many times when we stop the record button, they go, that was really fun. That was good. Not an accident. 
I have done a ton of homework on them, put the hours in the miles, the pages read, the interviews, watching TED Talks to help ensure, not always, but help ensure most of those interviews go pretty darn well. So do your homework on anyone you meet. A couple other ones how to connect with anybody is be confident and look sharp. You know, when I'm on stage, I don't go up there like I have in this interview, my ball cap on and, you know, be kind of relaxed here and maybe a kiss t-shirt on a rock and roll shirt. And I know all of us like rock and roll, but you have to know your audience. So when I go on stage, I want to look good. I want to feel good. I want to employ that confidence. People are drawn to confidence. That positivity energetically is very true. People think, oh, it's that woo-woo. No, it's real. People are drawn to image. They're drawn to tonality, looks, smiles, um, the way you sound. If you look good and sound good and you are confident, you draw people. These are just known throughout time. Uh, a couple other quick ways is um, to connect with anybody is share success stories. Um, Zig taught me, Zig Ziglar, years ago, and I know he learned it from everybody else, from Jesus on down to Buddha, is that the facts tell, but the stories sell. And we have to be great storytellers. Stories engage, they capture us at a primal level all the way up to a, a 15-year-old that's hooked on Google or YouTube or Snapchat. The story draws, engages, and holds. It captures them. So I always tell clients and people that read this book or my other works or in boot camps or events that we've all shared the stage, you have to be a good storyteller. And you've got to sometimes work in a two-minute venue. Sometimes you do a 20-minute venue or sometimes you've got an hour presentation or a 10-minute talk at Toastmasters where you've got to tell stories because we're wired to learn that way. Let me give you the best example to lay the argument to rest about storytelling, TED. The TED Talk series are yep. 10 to 14-minute typically talks. They're your best stuff. They're delivered via video. They're almost all stories. There's some good facts. But those presentations are polished, rehearsed, scripted, and built with stories. I don't remember Brene Brown or Brad's talk at Terrytown. I remember your stories. Yeah. I remember the stories. But I don't remember all the details about you or Brene or Malcolm Gladwell or Simon Sinek. I don't really need to know all about them unless I want to interview them. That the goes story. back to an earlier point. But if I yeah. want to remember a couple key points, I remember the stories. And I guess one, another quick way uh, of the, the seven valuable ways I've given you a few highlights here is to be brief. We're in an age of speed, point and click, Amazon, real-time shipping, Domino's Pizza, 30 minutes or less. I want it now. I want it now. It's kind of like Veruca Salt from uh, Willy Wonka. Daddy, daddy, I want it now. Who would have seen since that movie came out, you know, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? We live in Wonka land now. We're all Veruca in a way. We want everything now. We're impatient. I'm just as bad. I teach from the reference of life experience. So I have days where I'm impatient. It's all get out. I want it yesterday. I want a deadline to happen now. But what I mean by be brief is simply this to build off that. You've got to promise speed with a, someone you're meeting with. If you're trying to get a phone appointment or face-to-face, -face, you've got to earn every second of attention, every minute of their time, and every five, 10-minute block is at a premium because we're all so busy. We all got too much bandwidth that's expanded out. We got too much messaging. And you guys have seen me teach this around the world for over 10 years is we're all burned out in mind capture. No one yeah. really wants to listen. There's too much input. There's 50 to 60,000 conversations in our head each day. That's our own self-talk. We have five to 7,000 media messages and every any major metropolitan market trying to get us each day to pay attention to it. It's a shiny, noisy, burned out world with attention. So the quicker you are, the more precise, the better the story. If you look good, you sound good, you have your homework done, you walk in far ahead of the, the amateur or the hobbyist that doesn't do these things. And in the book, obviously, I give more specifics of how to do it. You won't learn it all one day. 
That's why a book is a resource. You go back to it repeatedly. Audio yeah. book is the same way. You don't absorb the whole book in one reading, but you go back to it time and time again. You pick a chapter here, you pick a point there, you pick two or three nuggets or a note that I may have shared with you guys from the book and it improves your life. That's all we can do because really we're teachers. You and Tom are here tonight. We're all teachers and we all have different life stories, but we teach wisdom and knowledge for the betterment of humanity. Let me repeat what's, what I'm hearing right now in my spirit, guys. We love to help people and we're often misunderstood. That's yeah. the lesson I got from Jeff Bezos when I met him the day they launched Kindle. I was in the room, met him. This is real. Was He said something at the end of the interview when he was being interviewed on stage about Kindle that day, which maybe we'll have time to talk about. But we're often misunderstood because we love to help people. And that's a little different. Um, it's not about you know trying to be martyrs and we're all save the planet. We love watching people better themselves expand their business, their idea, get more customers, build their nonprofit, help their charity, get in the newspaper, get featured on Oprah. That's the game of positive disruption that we play. I'm tired of all the negativity. That's easy. Positive disruptions, who I roll with and how we play. Wow. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> New York what? and Toronto, I see you on the screen. What? This, this is the funny part. You, when Talking there about the seven uh, tactics, one of the things I'm always astounded by is when people don't do their research when they're going in on a prospect or they're going to be talking. Um, you know, it, it's, it's astounding to me. And I know somebody who actually specializes in creating sales pitches based on that research. You just mentioned he uses uh, DISC behavioral training, mm -hmm. DI, and he will go online, find a person discover if they're a high I or a high D and train his people to give a sales pitch based on what he, he finds in their research. And it's, it's a simple act of respect. Do yeah. we listen, by the way, do we listen in order to respond or we listen in order to hear the other person? And a lot of Great times, yeah, a lot of times listening to respond. And if you're a sales professional or an entrepreneur out there and you're trying to struggle and get your business off the ground, these seven tactics, I think, are just exemplary because uh, I once had the honor of interviewing Ivan Meisner, the founder, mm -hmm. and he had to give a presentation in front of 800 sales professionals. These were the top of the game. And he raises his hand. He says, how many of you are here to sell something? And 800 hands shot up in the air. They're like, yeah, enthusiastically. Uh -huh. Right, okay. Um, how many of you are here to buy something? And not one hand went up. He said, gentlemen, we have a problem. You're trying to sell in a room where nobody wants to buy. Hmm. And that requires listening. It requires research. It requires those seven tactics that Tony just laid out. I hope everybody was taking notes because that was like, Boom, right in. <laughs> Thank you. I, I want to touch on this now. Um, we're in an age where everything's so radically disrupted. You have a generation that's, uh, they've been bombarded with 20,000 brands since they were a child. By the time mm -hmm. they're six years old, they, they, they know 20,000 different brands. They have a relationship with that brand that has to do with food, a cartoon, toys, and a video game. So the only way to stand out nowadays, and you really talk about this, 
and that is about authenticity, both online and especially uh, yeah. with your, your business and your company. Um, that, you know, it's a simple thing, but it's a big thing when it comes to mind capture and standing out. So. Yeah. Um, authenticity really is everything. Um, and that sounds like, wow, there, there's, that's a pretty big statement. Let me explain what I mean by it's everything. We're in an age of Google search. I teach referral marketing all over the world. Um, big companies, mid-sized companies, small companies, nonprofits. That's like, besides customer service, they all want to know how do I improve, get more referrals. And this is coming straight out of the book where a lot of the foundation was set. And also when I teach it live is authenticity in the age of Google is what's your digital footprint. Right. Tom's got a heck of a footprint up in Toronto with his work over the years, you know, positively disrupting under the Napoleon Hill flag, his series of books, his story. Uh, again, I know Tom is a friend and you as well, Brad. Um, you know, that's, I look online and find Tom quick and I go, wow, uh, I can Google you and do the same thing. And I'm hoping you know, people will look up if they find me and they go, okay, there's, there's some work going on here. There's a body of work, but it's called the digital footprint. And I'll right. throw a flame down it. Al Gore did not create that term. I did. Okay. So a little, little tongue in cheek about digital footprint, obviously, uh, uh, AKA carbon footprint is the age group, Brad, and this is your forte, the millennials down my teenage children that are going to be 20, 18 and 15. They, they know this. They're all raised as digital natives. As you taught me, they all go on the phone first and look you up before they dare ever reach out to you. And that's a quantum shift the last 10 years of what's going on in every aspect of communication, marketing, especially commerce, is that this phone, you know, I'm holding mine in my hand, I'm pointing to it on the video here, um, is now the commerce tool that we all look around, left, right, click, drag, point, go. And that world has changed everything where you have to show up online and have some authenticity, a little proof to get in the game. Let me repeat that. If you're not on there or if people look you up and they don't like what they see or it doesn't look right or your website hasn't been updated in 15 years and you have an ancient blog with one post from 20 years ago and when it first came out, you look, you look dated. And I'm not being negative. I'm being really, as Dan Kennedy taught me, uh, the professor of harsh reality himself when it comes to marketing, you got to look current. And I, I would say authenticity, you know, some ways you do it, Beyond social media, now you got to watch that. That's a whole other interview itself. But you know, you should have some presence on at least Facebook. Maybe it's LinkedIn. Uh, Instagram is becoming the next big thing for really millennials down. Um, Snapchat. I have teenagers. That's totally a communication tool. But who knows where that thing is going to mutate into? The point is, people want to see online before they meet you offline if they think you're worth and legitimately real. Now, we all know from a marketing perspective that social media, frankly, a lot of it's bullshit. And I hope yeah. I didn't offend anybody, but if I did, too late. We, don't, we talk about our best things in life, typically on social media. At least my friends do online primarily. If I have a lot of negative friends on social media, I need to get some new friends. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it doesn't mean you don't be real. You can talk about things that go wrong, but if it's always negative, people don't really want to hear it. Yeah. Uh, especially in the circles that we run in, you, you attract who you associate with. People sometimes will say, you know, everyone's whining on Facebook. I meet them around town or at other meetings. I'm like, well, you got to get some new friends online because if that's all you're hearing is whining online, then your online associations are bringing you down whether you know it or not. Yeah. So, you know, the authenticity piece, online, offline, 
uh, the book has a variety of ways. Most of the folks listening are doing some of these things really well. And then some of them are reminders of what they've forgotten. And some are great reminders of what they should be doing that they're not aware of. Let me repeat that and, and summarize it. Many of these strategies people do. Okay. I'm not claiming full knowledge and all the ideas in the book. They're timeless. It's my perspective of with some of my stories and some of my own unique things mixed in there. But people are doing some of them. Some they've forgotten to do. They need the reminder or they've heard and they know they should be doing it. And the third area, which is usually the most unique for me, is they're not even aware that they should be doing it. So the three of us loving this industry collectively, Tom, I think you've been in the industry maybe 40 years, Brad, maybe 30. I've got maybe 25. You've got almost 100 years of personal development wisdom with the three of us facilitating yeah. this interview. And we have seen a lot, but I'll tell you what, we do not know it all. I am yeah. constantly learning, um, and it could be my, my, my sophomore in college, Paige. She's going to be 20. She'll show me something. I'm like, wow, I got a lot of learning to do. And then she'll look at something that I take for granted and go, wow, that's unique. So the game of knowledge is never over. Building authenticity um, in the age of digital Google search in, in two-second attention span, or Sally Hogshead says in the goldfish principle, nine-second attention spans, we're all going to have to step up, especially if you're over 30. Um, you know, the edge of the millennials up to, you know, I'm a Gen X or the boomers is we really got to raise that game because it's all new there. And a lot of us resist change and the digital change is like daily. So that being said, um, I spend a lot of time, as you guys know, having read the first version of the book and now the new version, building authenticity. You got to have it in all your marketing. And Brad, let me go right. back to what you said about um, the gentleman that does the disc personalities. That's brilliant because it's the old matching and mirroring. That's NLP, neuro-linguistic program. When you match and mirror their primary communication modalities to speak their language, their preferred way of communication. So that was a little bit of a reminder to me that that, that probably works even more effectively because of that. You're speaking to the way the person wants to receive the information or physically, kinesthetically or auditory speaking the words or visually showing pictures or painting pictures or showing them uh, their preferred way of hearing and, uh, you know, how they want to be presented to. So it's, it's astounding. I mean, it really is about, uh, if you smell desperate when you walk into a room, mm -hmm. it's because it's many of these things that Tony points out in his book. I mean, this, it's, it's almost like we have this amazing array of 21st century tools at our disposal and people are still not using them. I'm always yeah. astounded. Uh, Pick up a copy of Mind Capture. And, and Tony, uh, I recommend all four in the series, especially coming out, because uh, number one and two, they give you a lot of tactics you can use. Number three is very powerful because it goes into the, oh, my God, I can't believe you got through all this. And the, it goes deep, put it this way. Mm -hmm. And then I have the honor of being in, in the, the fourth one, Trailblazers. And um, I came up with the phrase liquid leadership, which is about yeah. depth for the 20th century flow like water my friend and that leads me to mind capture your slogan your platform your phrase is mind capture you want to talk a little bit about what mind capture means and you also have 10 mind capture hitting commandments <laughs> your own risk yeah that i want to touch uh, touch on because mind capture is really a very powerful Thing to do in this day and age and I want our listeners to really understand 
what this means because it's deeper than just the mind capture you know yeah. like we're of an echo chamber mind capture you know it's bigger than that let's <laughs> do this <laughs> all right brad uh that's a two-part question so this is a sign of a, an advanced interviewer yeah uh, the guest we have to determine yet um first response what do i mean by mind capture um the term came up probably 15 16 years ago and I'm a big believer in giving credit where credit is due. Um, I had finished the first manuscript for my book, and I thought, what is the big challenge out there? It's getting anyone to pay attention. I was raised in a lot of the top marketing sales circles, used my, my companies I was with and companies I was in startups and all that. And I always said there's a battle for attention. What's the best term? And I actually told him this live to his face probably coming up on 11, 12 years ago, Jay Abraham the marketing genius. It was Detroit, Michigan. I autographed the first copy of the first version of Mind Capture and gave it to him. And he looked at me and he kind of grinned with his entourage. And he goes, hmm, that's interesting. I said, Jay, that name should ring a bell because you did a seminar in 1995 called Mind Capture over Los Angeles. I took the Mind Capture and thought, I looked at the bookshelf and said, there it is. Those two words of the brand. That's what I'm trying to convey. How do you get attention or mind capture. Clinical definition I've written about and shared in countless interviews is what is mind capture when I'm asked it. It's simply the ability to get attention, stand out, and win people's time in a world with too many choices and options. It sounds like a mouthful. The short baby boomer, uh, or I would say the millennial, or my kids would say, Dad, what are you getting at? How do you get people to pay attention to what they don't want to? Yeah. That's what we teach. That's, there's a variety of ways, books, live trainings, masterminds, events with other speakers, leading roundtables, interviews, social media, they're all the same interchangeable. I don't care what you're trying to market. If you can't get anyone to pay attention within one, two, three seconds, you're doomed. You're over. You've got to get their attention. I got to jump in here just a yeah. second I hate to interrupt you, but if you're a baby boomer listening and I'm a baby boomer and Tom's a baby boomer and Tony, you're Generation X, if you talk to any baby boomer, they're loyal to a brand was almost ridiculous. Yep. And because we were raised on shotgun marketing, where we sat down and somebody would just shotgun at us on the television or the radio or even yep. if And if you talk to any boomer today, all you have to do is go plop, plop, fizz, fizz, and they'll finish yep. this. Alka-Seltzer, oh, what a relief it is. <laughs> yeah. um, he has a first name, and we can yep. do and that will tell you that's the mind capture for that generation. And marketers didn't have to do a lot because, you know, we were savvy. I'm not going to say we weren't. I mean, I still use Gillette and I still use, you know, certain products that I grew up with. I just love them. But we're in a different age now. And mind capture is a new hustle. It's a new way of capturing that mind in a world now that has gotten so saturated with marketers all vying for attention, trying to sell you the next get rich quick program. Hey, all you gotta do is buy a list. You wanna get high end coaching programs and you know, buy this product. And you notice people are ignoring them. They're, they're, they're leaving television. They're not sitting down and watching television at a specific time. Now television has to keep up with the person on the go. Yep. And really what you're kind of talking about. Am I right? Yeah, it's, well, you just described the last part. It's called time shifting. 
And it started about 10, 12 years ago with podcasting and vidcasting and Netflix and Hulu, the rise of all these fragmented medias. Uh, I'm going to give you guys something that hasn't been really put out to the public yet. It will be in the next book. I interviewed Dan Kennedy after 20 years. He let me turn the microphone on him. And we talked about the Amazon effect. And I asked him a question from a peer to, he's one of my favorite mentors. I said, Dan, do you think it's easier than harder now to market when you were playing the, the game full-time 30 years ago, buying media, getting attention, mind capture? He goes, I think it is much more complex because there's so much fragmentation of media. There's more choices. There's more noise. And it's harder to really get anyone to focus because they're scattered. And I yeah. thought that was revealing. I didn't want to assume anything. But I kind of intuitively thought he might go that way. But he used to be able in the 1980s buy a direct mail list and you know your big cable networks and you'd buy your media, your direct mail pieces. You didn't have the Internet. Now you've got the Internet, but the Internet has fragmented all the other forms of media where print newspapers don't make as much money in some situations versus selling the online edition that ties into tandem with the print edition. So everything's gotten mutated. The Amazon effect, which we talk about in the forthcoming book, not this one, but the book next year that we'll release, we spend 15 minutes talking about how powerful Amazon is. And if you can be Amazoned, you're in trouble. And it's happening all over the world because they're so powerful at getting attention. They're a giant portal, a giant search engine. Oh, by the way, they're also a commerce company. That's the last piece of Amazon. The bigger point, though, Brad, is you go into what Dan and I were hitting at is yeah, attention's getting harder and harder to get. I don't right. think it's going to get any easier. There's ways we talk about in this book where you can build a higher chance of getting attention, but even your best customers, referral partners, and prospects are deluged with too much input, just like you and I. And, you know, one thing I, I advocate in the book, I talk about some different ways to untune, you know, detune your mind and tune out of all the noise. And there's some real heavy stuff that um, some people that have been around my work go, man, you went into some really interesting rivers there in that book. You, know, you talk about marketing, authenticity, and attention, and you know Google and Amazon. But then you talk about goal setting and making lists and beginning to become more authentic and researching people and taking a genuine interest. And it's a little bit spiritual. I'll tell you why I think it happened. Um, they both mutually coexist. They should in tandem intersect. If you don't have some of the research, the personal development, some of the, the being a good person in, in authenticity, if you don't weave that into your marketing, online, offline, face-to-face, -face, people are going to be more resistant because you're not authentic. You're not being real. You're the infomercial at 3 o'clock in the morning screaming out loud that no one believes. Now, some people might be in a different state of mind, but a lot of people tune out. It's called the BS meter. I've talked about it for a long, long time. If it looks like a heavy-handed sales pitch, it sounds too good to be true. It seems hypey and flashy. Um, people that have been around the block a little while call that bullshit. It's the BS meter. We don't believe it. Right. A lot of marketers are still doing the pounding grill on their chest, jumping around, you know, whatever style they choose to use. I'm not judging them, but the marketplace is becoming more sophisticated. Uh, thus, the refinement of your authenticity, your personal development, who you are as a person being congruent, looking and sounding the same, having a good online presence, good offline. Um, they all fuse together to awaken, as I mentioned the subtitle, that entrepreneurial genius. Everyone listening, I don't know if I'll meet many of you, maybe at a live event, it's, this is a small world. Everyone's got these gifts. I don't have claim to it. I'm not your guru. Tony Robbins would say that. It's a great documentary he did on Netflix. The point of that statement is this is not new. Um, Everyone, I believe, can awaken 
uh, across the world, people are hungry for entrepreneurship. That's the way to get your ideas out there. How do you make it profitable? And profitable is to serve others. That's not a dirty word. And I'll take on anyone on any right. network that wants to debate me about entrepreneurship being bad or, you know, greedy capitalists. Sorry, but that's another interview maybe for another network. But I see the good that awakening that entrepreneurial genius has in every human. And you could work in a company, you could be the company, or you might be working on your own at a different company. These ideas move between employee to entrepreneur to employer to manager. Everyone, I believe, has to get in this entrepreneurial state to awaken it. You and I, the three of us on this interview, Tom in Toronto, you're in New York, Brad, I'm up in Idaho, you know, the metropolis of Coeur Lane. Um, but we know it. It doesn't matter where you're located at. Yeah. Uh, everyone's got that, that entrepreneurial genius in them. And typically, young children have it more than adults. As we get older, we become conditioned to become drifters. Napoleon Hill taught me that from the grave in his book, Outwitting the Devil. What he means by that is you become really influenced by religion around you growing up, the government, the school systems, the media, and your respective country. And you become what he says, a drifter, not on your own doing. You don't realize you're being conditioned for mediocrity. Let me repeat that. Most people are conditioned for mediocrity until they either hit a wall they step outside the matrix or they start to question or they pick up a book or they meet someone that radically disrupts their thinking of the old way of belief structure. This book is like a two by four to your skull. Even if you're an advanced student, there's something in here, a chapter or two, they might go, that's pretty interesting. So it's for the beginner to the advanced student. And again, it's my perspective. It's not law. I'm not a guru. I'm a traveler on the journey that loves self-help. I love to teach around the world. I love to watch that light bulb like that cover, Brad. When it goes off in the audience in someone's mind, bingo. Yeah. That's the biggest charge. Better than a, better than a check, better than you know, a, a testimonial, a pat, attaboy is when someone gets it. Reading a book at a live event or I get an email that says, I read something or heard your interview, that's what makes it worth it. Because yeah. it can be awfully lonely. When you're doing what we do, you're researching, you're, you're, you're out there on the road, you're teaching, you're giving up away time from your family, and you're just hoping, and hoping is not a bad word, that someone's getting it, that it's connecting at a soul level, and they go, I get it, and they take an idea out of that seminar room, or they read a book like this, or they listen to this interview, and they go, I've got it, and they go, and they run, and a year from now, they go out and change their world, but they change others, and I'm wow. always about positivity. Positivity is how I roll. Um, we all have adversity. This life goes quick, guys. I'm the youngest on the call, okay, in the interview. Tom, Brad, and you and I are doing this interview live. Isn't it amazing how fast life goes? Yeah. And I don't want to spend my, all my days being crotchety and negative and mean. I have bad days too. But I want to make sure that people run into the mind capture network, that they run into my web, they get into my bubble, they go, man, there's a lot of good positive stuff here. Guy's pretty human, but there's a lot more positive. And I've had that mindset since I probably as a little child. I've always been pretty happy. I've had some weird things happen to me, but I've always said don't kill off that, that entrepreneurial genius, that positivity. No matter what's going on, the show must go on. Absolutely. We look at this book right now, guys. Um, it's weird to me to be talking about a book I wrote eight years ago. It kind of is a mind twist, like a Star Trek or Twilight Zone episode. I'm, I'm feeling it right now as we record this live. But I'm talking about something that was written a while ago. I've changed a lot since then. And now 
the information comes back in a new form in a new time and space. So, so that, to me, what you just said is astounding as I pull out my Star Trek communicator. Because <laughs> uh, you're talking about it. But, um, Tony, I've seen you give keynotes, workshops. You have an incredible uh, uh, system to help the sales reps, referral magic, things like this. Uh, could you tell us how we can get a hold of you uh, before we keep moving on over the next 15 minutes? Because yeah. I want to be able to reach out and, and get in touch with you. If you have a sales department, if you want to know how to, how to bring life back into you know, people training, sales departments, uh, customer service, wherever it is, you got to get a hold of Tony. How do we get a hold of you, Tony? Well, thank you, my friend. Um, real simple, you go to mindcapturegroup.com. So again, mindcapturegroup.com. And the new book, which we're discussing a lot today on our call this time, gentlemen, um, is mindcapturegroup.com forward slash books. So you're going to want to go there. And I'm tipping off the, my hat a little bit earlier because we launch officially in a few days with the re-release of this book that we're discussing. So if someone goes there and wants to pre-order, we're getting pre-orders now, they can definitely go there. And um, let me go back to what you'd asked, Brad, and thank you for letting me promote that. You'd asked about these mind capture marketing commandments. So let me rewind real quick. Pages 16 and 17 in the, in the book, I list what I call these mind capture marketing commandments. And these came down from just observations of, of client work and things I've seen selling and marketing for many, many years. And I'll give you a couple of them here that I think are relevant, and I won't give all 10. So that Brad's got them too right there. So thank you, sir. I see your screen. Um, you know, I think that the 10th commandment, this ties in referral magic that I teach a lot. I mean, next week I teach in Vail, and I go to Salt Lake for Remax to teach referral magic. It's all referrals in those cities for that big company. In this 10th commandment, our marketing says, thou shalt track all sacred leads by asking, how did you hear about us? That's a simple question that... When I go undercover and, and shop for companies, mystery shop them or do customer service audits, you'd be amazed how many employees on email, telephone, incoming calls, or face-to-face -face guests never ask that question. And that is a million-dollar question if it's leveraged and used. Because if you can't track how people hear about you, you can't find out what's working in your promotions, aka marketing. Plus, if you dig deeper, you can't thank people for those that are giving you referrals. I'm a big believer in, in the fact that you always thank people in the process for referrals. You let them know that you followed up, especially if you get the deal, you send them some sort of thank you acknowledgement, a phone call, a text, a handwritten note, a send out card, a book signed, their right. favorite chocolate, something that shows that you actually care because so few people do it. And I'll tell you, we're all guilty of this. We can be selfish. We forget. We forget to thank people. And I look at when you track, you can now reward. That 10th commandment has a sub point. If you can track, when you ask, how'd you hear about us? I was referred from Brad to you, for example. Now you can reward and see, you know what, Brad needs to get some acknowledgement for building my business via word of mouth. So that's one of the 10. I'll give you one more and I'll let you keep moving here because of time. Um, I believe the second commandment, thou shall know that marketing is the oxygen for every growing organization. Here's what I mean. If you don't believe you're in the marketing business, you're going to suffocate unless you're the rare, rare one exception that has such a powerful product, service, or message that it can go viral and it just goes rapid fire. Those are the anomalies, the one in a million, okay? But for the other 999,999, 999, you got to hustle. It's called right. marketing. 
and you guys, we've all taught at events. I've had you on my stages. Love working with you guys. We have all sorts of people in our audiences at my own events in particular that are nonprofit. They're ministers in the audience. And a lot of them are like, I'm not a marketer like you guys. And I have to kind of pull them aside quietly and give them the intervention. And the market intervention says, well, first and foremost, you are a pastor, you think. Well, you're secondly a pastor. You're first in the marketing business, my friend. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with it. You look at the best of class in any industry, for-profit, non-profit, small, mid-sized, large organization. They're typically the best marketers. Let me give you one that I pretty much a lot of people listening will know who this is. Tony Robbins. I call him the other Tony R. I'm looking at his picture of him and I standing next to each other from an event 20 years ago in Michigan that we met. I always say he's the other Tony R. That I'm the shorter one. Okay. Love Tony's work. Tony, when he broke on the scene in the mid 80s, was reviled by a lot of people in his industry that are good at teaching psychology, personal development, that are clinical or have doctorates. Okay. They said, Tony is a shyster. He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he doesn't have the credentials. Where did he come from? You know, he's full of crap. Here's what Tony did brilliantly. He ignored them. He out-marketed them. Dan Kennedy, let's talk about a small world again, was part of those early infomercials with Fran Tarkington, you know, unlimited power. Tony got in the infomercial business when it broke. He took a risk. He yeah. is an anomaly. Let's also give him credit. He's an anomaly. He's brilliant. He's got the energy. He's a freak. And that's a good thing. Okay, whether you like him or not, he is one of those weird anomalies that you just his presence alone, but he's got the gumption, the communication skills to back it up. Okay, so I obviously like Tony. Not everybody does because there's a lot of jealous people that don't really understand what he does. He outmarkets them a thousand to one and they yep. get jealous and mad because they're, they're, they don't understand it or they're afraid to do what he does. So the best marketers win. It is the oxygen of every growing organization is great marketing. That's so true. So, so true. Uh, I like to call marketing uh, romance, you know, and the sales is the, the, you know, I hate to say it in the part, you want to copulate, you know, if you're in a marriage. So yep. if you more of the sales, you need more of the romance. And, and that's what people kind of miss the boat on in this day and age. We're all marketing. We're all selling. And, you know, getting back to churches, the churches that are failing today are the ones that aren't reaching out to the community, creating a brand, creating a marketing engine that gets people uh, in the doors to see them face to face, things like this. People need to experience you. Uh, and I yeah. think Larry Wingett said, if people aren't buying your product, it's probably because nobody knows who you are. Yep. Got to make those phone calls. Hey, in closing, I, I wanted to touch on something that we talked about in the green room. And I thought this was interesting. And it's one of those things that makes you tilt your head sideways like the dog listening to a high-pitched whistle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Option-based thinking or option-based thinking. You want to talk about that? It's a great question to end on. <clears throat> um, life, we can script to a degree. Goal setting, having a plan. Also, I've said this, life is also not scripted, okay? It doesn't always go the way we want it to go. It doesn't always go on plan. And this has been a hard one for me the last few years. And Brad, you know off the record, Tom, we've talked privately. <clears throat> we have adversity. It happens to everyone on the planet. We're all human. And I look at option-based thinking as having what I call a contingency plan, especially in your marketing. 
Um, for example, what if option A is you want to attract 100 customers with this two or three ways to market? What if one doesn't work? What if one is banned? What if one you can't afford to do? All right, what's option B? What's option C? So you always have to give yourself options. It doesn't mean you don't believe in what you do, but for a variety of reasons, there are sometimes in our best laid plans, there's going to be regulation. There's going to be a change of mind. There's going to be competitors that resist. You've got to be prepared. And it's also the cousin of persistence, option-based thinking, because you hit a wall, you either got to go around it, go above it, dig below it, jump on another person to climb over it. You've got to think, okay, Randy Pausch wrote a book and did a video series called The Last Lecture. Google it. He was on Oprah. He died. It was his last lecture he gave at Carnegie Mellon because he was diagnosed with cancer. And I'm going to paraphrase what he said in essence, part of that talk, which ties in option-based thinking. He said the brick walls are designed in life to really determine how bad you want it. And everyone listening, and the three of us on this co-hosted interview, Tom in Toronto, you in New York, Brad, and me up in Idaho, have had a ton of adversity. Brick walls. We don't quit. I want a teacher in my own world that's been through some adversity. I don't want someone that's had it all made. That's also very hard to find. I want someone that can teach me a lesson from their failures too. My central mentor, Dan Kennedy, is arguably the most bullheaded, hard-nosed, roll-up-your-sleeves, nitty-gritty Midwestern I've ever met. But he's also one of the best at adversity, I believe. He's my central mentor. He's one of the highest paid copywriters in the world. That guy has gone through multiple bankruptcies, at least a couple I know of. He's been public. Marriages that have made it, divorces, remarrying a second wife. He jokes about this, but it makes him real. It makes him authentic. And he shares how he went through the ways to get around that and keep persisting, how he had options, how he didn't have options. He had a seminar in the 70s where his car got towed by a repo company. He was that broke. And he had to run out in front of the audience and grab his marketing books before the car got repoed so he could sell it. He was that broke. Now, that's some option-based thinking. And I don't mean to say that you set out to fail, that you anticipate a problem. But as you get more years on this thing called life, if you're lucky and you're blessed, you will run into adversity and you're going to need options. So it's not a scam. Doesn't mean you have a quit plan where I'm, if this doesn't go right, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to quit. No, right. what are you going to do in spite of things that you can't control and things that you self-sabotage your own success? We all do it. It's called our brain. And how do you come up with other options to override it and get to the mark, to get to the target? You have to have options. So I know that sounds a little nebulous. The book, we dive into how you do that. And everything we've talked about, guys, is very learnable. I give all the different books and references I've studied with. I've mentioned several names to give credit where credit's due. I have my perspective, but I think there's plenty of other great teachers. And if this book takes somebody down the rabbit hole and they like my books or this one or another mind capture book, and it gets them to read Napoleon Hill, they gets them to read Liquid Leadership or Tom's books, you know, Journeys to Success, Missions Moving, because there's all kinds of options. Each of us is an opening entry to help others. We're, we love personal development. We want to see people succeed. So mind capture is my little entry point to the party. It's my ticket in the ballgame. But I'm not the only one that has the knowledge. So this book is a combination of my own life experience, my mentors, books, live, those I've studied with, my failures, my mistakes, my personal tragedies, some of my triumphs, famous people I've met that you see all over the world that have given me their time. You mold it all together. You throw it into what you hope is a good book. And now what we've done is we've gone back and said, let's pull this thing from the vault. Let's dust it off and let's give it a second look. That's why we're here today. Awesome. Thank you, Tony. Thank You're you welcome. so much.
Tom, do you want to add anything before we close up shop tonight? No, uh, I've been listening here attentively and I got a lot of notes. Thank you, That's sir. Thank you, Tom. Well, uh, once again, how can people get a hold of you, Tony? Thank you, Brad. It's real easy. My main page is mindcapturegroup.com. And uh, there's different links on there. If you want to get the new book, click on the tab books or forward slash books. And you'll see the, the brand new design, the brand new Mind Capture book. Thank you, Brad. Um, that sharp looking cover. And you can click on there. So, gentlemen, thank you again. Um, this is one of the first kind of bigger interviews that we've done to kind of launch the book. And I yep. can't think of two other great people um, via technology to do yes. it with. So you guys are the best. Before we take off, I really want to promote one more thing. You and I spent some yep. time. I came out to do a keynote speech. And uh, I had two speeches lined up. And Tony... Turned out you were speaking at the exact same hotel the following day, and we did a dual book signing. Yep. The hot topic that you're running around with, uh, you want to talk about, just real quick, if anybody wants to reach out and get a hold of you for, what is it, referral magic? That is a hot topic. Correct. That, and also... Yeah. Thank you, Brad. Yeah. We, yeah the, I didn't catch the last part. You cut out a little bit, but I got referral magic. Yeah. Um, the you know, referral magic is is the program I give a lot, and obviously um, the Trailblazer book is going to get much bigger next year, and we take it with New York and launch it out globally. So leadership lessons is a lot of my interviews. That was the book that sprang off of this book. So book three that we're revisiting was written originally in 2011 and released then. It was written, you know, it released then. We're relaunching it anniversary edition now in 2017 in the fourth book we'll re-release again in 2018 under New York brands. So we always self-publish typically first, then I go to New York. But um, referral magic is a hot demand topic. Leadership, the new book, the brand, brand new book um, is going to be in big demand. And Brad, I'm going to give you a quick shout out back because I keep giving you referrals. You have a very hot topic on, you know, managing the generations. Yeah. And I flipped you, I think, four or five referrals to meeting planners the last two weeks because yeah. they keep asking me, all right, Tony, we love your stuff. Who else can help on that? And I actually send you videos of me interviewing my clients going, we're tired of worrying about generations and this and that. <laughs> You need to call Brad Zalas. Yeah. So if you're going to give me some love, I'm going to give some love back. I want to give Tom a shout out in Toronto. Um, his journeys to success work, his Napoleon Hill work. And Tom, your own story, I've had you out to California, Chicago, and Michigan on my stages, um, is powerful. Tom Chutal Cunningham up in Toronto, um, you, you've done great work to advance the needle forward, my friend. So I would be remiss if I don't promote each of you because your work is that good. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate that. Good. Well, everybody, I want to thank you for another edition of Journeys to Success. And uh, we're signing off right now. Thank you so much. And uh, don't forget to do your notes. And uh, take care. Good night. Have a good night, guys. Bye-bye. Good night. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtootall.com for details.